This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby returns on Monday. She will likely be refreshed and recharged from her summer vacation, which is really so important when you're working full time to take that break and disconnect. In fact, in the second half of today's show, we will discuss employee burnout and offer you a fast track treatment plan for job stress. So make sure you stay around for the full hour. First, though, we are just a few months away from the one year anniversary of legalized recreational marijuana in Canada. And as you've heard on Zoomer Radio News over the last day, Ontario will get 50 additional cannabis retail stores as early as this October. Toronto will get 13 of these new 50 licenses. Today, we will explore how well the initial rollout of brick and mortar stores has gone since the first ones opened April 1st and improvements made as a result of misses the first time around. And I want to hear from you, your impressions of legalized recreational marijuana. Has it affected your life personally and has it been negative or positive? 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. Joining us with the perspective of the PC government at Queen's Park, the new Attorney General of Ontario, Doug Downey. Hi, Doug. Thank you so much. How are you enjoying your new post so far and congratulations? Well, thank you. Thank you. And it's uh, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. It's a very dynamic position. What have you learned uh, from when the first licenses were given out? Yeah, so let me let me back up a bit. I, sure. Before I was the Attorney General, I was the Parliamentary Assistant to Finance. So I've been involved in the file all the way through this rollout. And so we've learned a few lessons. We've, we've found that there is high demand in Ontario for the product, and we found that people like the retail element as well as the online store. Mm-hmm. Uh, have any of the fears and concerns been realized uh, you know, ahead of when marijuana was legalized last October 17th? There were a lot of concerns about children having access to marijuana, uh, outlets being closed to schools, that kind of thing. It, it doesn't seem to have affected neighborhoods in the way that some people feared. I think we have to we have to be careful because our primary goal is to tackle the illegal storefronts, illegal trade. And also to make sure that children are protected. So that that's top of mind for us in all of the things that we do here. We're we've seen very high levels of compliance when it comes to the to the current operators, but we're we're early days yet. Still, we want to be vigilant about this. Now, you have imposed some new requirements for this next round of licensees. Uh, can you expand on that for us? Yeah, we've changed the, the system for the for the phase two expansion. In the first phase, we had 25 stores, and, and in the second phase, we're doing 50 more. In the first phase, people could enter the, the draw, enter the lottery, as it were, just to pay a, a $75 fee. But this time around, we're going to pre-qualify people. 
we need to know that the people going into the draw have the capacity to follow through and, and open those doors. Did you find that that was problematic the first time? There were a couple of instances where individuals had won the, the draw and then were reaching out to find people to help them realize the, the opening of the store. So this is this will be much better in that uh, you will be screening out unprepared entries. But the negative side of that, or some criticism I'm hearing, is that uh, the smaller entrepreneurs who have a lot of retail experience but very little liquid cash won't have an opportunity. So we've, we've set the bar at 250 and that's not money that we receive from them. We need them to prove that they have access to that that amount. And it can be a letter from a bank or it can be through the investments that they currently hold, their savings. If they don't have that capacity, they're going to have a hard time meeting our requirements to protect the, the children and, and deal with the stringent requirements. So you say that, that you realized after the fact that that is required in order to run a successful and safe business? And we, we've we believe that to be true. Now, are the names literally picked out of a hat? How does that work? The lottery is being held by the Lottery and Gaming Commission. Yeah, great question, because what we've, what we've done is we've hired third-party uh, KPMG to monitor the fairness of, of the draw. And so everybody that qualifies goes through the process by August the 9th. So there's a window 7th to 9th to put in the paperwork. Everybody that's pre-qualified, and they'll be evaluated until August 20th, will be drawn at random by region. So there are, there are several regions. And you start off the top talking about the 13 stores that will be in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So we have different allocations in different regions of the province. Is this the best way to hold a lottery? There have been some suggestions that, that an auction might be a good way of going about doing this as well. Well, there's, there's different models you, you could pursue. This is the one that we've chosen. We, we think it works well, and we think it's, it's equally fair um, to, to allow, as you mentioned, some of the smaller individual businesses to participate and not just be swamped by, by the big players. I'm speaking with the new Attorney General of Ontario, Doug Downey, uh, who represents the Progressive Conservative government at Queen's Park. When cannabis is sold online or in a store, how much of it actually goes to the government, to the taxpayers? So there's, there is a, a bit of tax that goes, and our OCS store, the Ontario Cannabis Store, negotiates the purchase price. So there is some variability in that. And I have to get the specific data to date from the OCS store. I don't have that number top of mind. But it is how much uh, can you at least sort of quantify uh, how much of a benefit this is in terms of a tax base? It's not a tax issue for us. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not a revenue issue for us. We're looking at this as a safety issue. Okay. Because the federal government mandated that it will happen and we're managing how it happens. So we have an agreement with the federal government that we won't uh, increase taxes to a point where we're not competitive with the illegal market. I'm also interested in knowing what you think about, there has been a complaint um, from both, a, a complaint, it's more of a fact, I suppose, the Arthritis Society, as well as an organization called Canadians for Fair Access to Medical Marijuana, that one in four medical cannabis users say it's now more difficult to access cannabis since recreational legalization. Is this an issue that you plan to address? The the medical side is very much governed and regulated by the federal government. 
So it's not a conversation I've had with them directly, but I'm open to perspectives if they if they want to share those. Um, Doug, b- prior to the legalization of recreational cannabis, uh, very often it was a normal occurrence. You would see police going into illegal pot shops and closing them down, bringing the owner out or bringing some of the employees out in handcuffs. Has there been much of that since re- uh, marijuana became legal or did a lot of these shops shut down with hopes of, of getting a real license down the road? I, the report that I most recently saw was that up to 90% of those storefronts have been shut, uh, and it's a mix, some voluntarily and, and some through the police bylaw enforcement. All right. Well, I thank you very much for your time today. It provides us some perspective of where we've been and where we're going with uh, cannabis sales online and in brick-and-mortar stores. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jane. That is the Ontario Attorney General, Doug Downey. Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. We're now going to go to Michael Armstrong, who's an Associate Professor of Operations Research at the Goodman School of Business at Brock University. Uh, he's an expert in this field as well in terms of sales of recreational cannabis. Michael, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. What do you think about uh, the new cannabis lottery rules? Because that has has been the big difference between the first time around and the second time around. I think uh, it's an improvement over the first round. The uh, government has learned some lessons from the first round, but I think there's more improvements they could make, uh, whether it's in the details of the uh, how they're doing the lottery or uh, even better, replace the lottery with an auction system. Uh, tell us what, about that. I did bring that up uh, with the Attorney General, and he didn't dismiss the idea, but he says there are various models, but at the moment they're sticking with the lottery. Well, the uh, the original, I think one of the original reasons to go with the lottery is to try and give everyone an equal chance, uh, whether it's the big corporations or small uh, independent sort of mom-and-pop uh, retailers. Um and that was, uh, you know, noble enough as an intention. But uh, as you were discussing with uh, him earlier uh, on the show, uh, what happened was you got some people entering the lottery just kind of almost on a whim uh, without anything like a business plan or uh, financing or anything available. So they ended up, uh, in effect, uh, looking for partners. And those partners willing to, were willing to pay uh, big bucks for that privilege, the uh, Reports coming out in the news suggested uh, some of the lottery winners were receiving offers of over a million dollars each. So that was money uh, that ended up going to somebody who just got lucky on the draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, if a, an auction had been held, uh, that's money that could have gone to the public treasury. So with 25 licenses, if they had, say, attracted $2 million uh, bids each, that would have been $50 million for the treasury. Um, so this time around, uh, I think the government should switch the auction system. The fact that they put in these financial prerequisites uh, to have $250,000 uh, in cash available to have a store already, uh, location already set up, or I should say reserved, not necessarily uh, set up, um, that's already ruling out some of the smaller players anyway. So why not just go with that and say, okay, let's have an auction. Let's let the big corporations uh, pay the province, and that is to say the taxpayers, uh, for the right to be among the first retailers to get their brand uh, reputations established. That's worth something. Let's have the province capture that value rather than 
uh, going out to lucky ticket holders. I want to put the phone numbers out there to those of you who use recreational cannabis. It's been fully legal since October 17th here in Ontario through the online store up until April 1st, and then the additional 25 actual brick and mortar stores across the province, including five here in Ontario. I, I know for a, for a, a lot of people of a certain age, there's still a stigma around making a phone call to a radio station to talk about smoking marijuana, but it's fully legal. Society is embracing the idea on many different levels. And it's important to have this discussion. Uh, are you buying your marijuana from the online store or from a brick and mortar store in Toronto? Are you, how have you found that experience to be? How are you enjoying the product versus the way you were uh, obtaining it earlier, which likely was either you were buying it as medical cannabis or you were buying it illegally? Uh, How has the experience been for you or has the legalization of recreational marijuana not affected your life whatsoever? You never smoked pot before. You're not about to smoke pot now. And, you know, those concerns you may have had about being able to smell weed in your neighborhood, sitting on your front porch, smelling your neighbor's marijuana. Has that come to fruition? Are you having those experiences or not? 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. Business professor Michael Armstrong here, Jane for Libby on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. How do you think, Michael, the whole process has gone since October 17th? Oh, that's a big question. It is. Um, <laughs> well, first thing I should probably say, I'm, I'm you know, tending to, tended to criticize both provincial and federal governments for mistakes they make, but let me first say, you know, at least we now have legal cannabis. After uh, decades of talking about it and uh, royal reports, I think the first one was back in the 1972, Royal Commission recommended legalization, so finally we have it. Uh, now, in terms of how it's rolled out, uh, well, the federal government went with a very controlled uh, pharmaceutical model. They wanted cannabis producers licensed, inspected, uh, regulated by Health Canada. Um, the advantage of that, of course, is we have pretty good product uh, quality assurance, quality in the sense of at least, uh, you know, it's what it says on the label is actually what's inside the package. Uh, we're pretty good assurance. There's no contamination like pesticide or mold in the packages. Um, so that's good. The mm-hmm. disadvantage is, though, that that meant we had to have a startup and industry from scratch. There's never been a shortage of cannabis in Canada. There's only been a shortage of legal cannabis. So the fact that the government went with this uh, pharmaceutical model effectively ruled out all the existing black market producers, uh, whereas some of the American states have gone more with a, uh, a laissez-faire kind of approach that, hey, uh, you guys are already producing stuff. Come buy a license from us and just kind of keep doing it. Um, so with that as a starting point, uh, of course, there we've had lots of product shortages. Uh, those have steadily improved as the industry has ramped up its uh, harvesting of raw, unfinished cannabis. Uh, but the industry is still lagging on producing actual finished product, particularly dry cannabis, the smokable stuff. Mm-hmm. The uh, oil production does seem to be uh, mostly caught up to demand levels. But uh, for the dry cannabis, which is the most popular product for recreational users, uh, it's only producing and selling about one-sixth of the amount needed to uh, cover the national market. Let's go to Sue in Hamilton. Sue wants to get in on the conversation. Uh, what would you like to add, Sue? Uh, 
Um, yeah, hi. Um, I would say you're absolutely right about uh, the containers. I've been to the brick-and-mortar uh, shops. They are quite sealed. Yes, they're absolutely dry. However, um, I did bring it up to the manager in the brick-and-mortars um, shop that the one co- the, the stuff that was in this one container that I bought it looked like, you know, when you grow tomatoes or you buy the tomatoes on the vine mm-hmm. and it's like dried out, crunchy, shriveled up stuff. That's what it looked like in a lot of stock, to be honest. But the fella said to take a picture of it and send it to the head cannabis place. So is that true? Michael, can you speak to that? Um, that sounds like a logical thing to do. I mean, it's cannabis and now legal product. If you have a problem with the product, you should be complaining to the uh, manufacturer. So I encourage you to do that. Okay. Uh, that brings up a good point, which is all the uh, health Canada regulations, the inspections, all that is very much oriented towards uh, compliance quality, that is avoiding bad things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't really focus very much on uh, actually designing a good, pleasant product. Uh, that's mm-hmm. being left to individual producers, and unfortunately, some of them are still learning. Mm-hmm. So well, what? Maybe, we, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. It just, maybe it just happened to end up in that container. Mm-hmm. Like it was really sealed. It was everything, but it was like smoking a tomato vine. <laughs> <laughs> and and was this your only experience so far with with purchasing uh, recreational marijuana legally? Uh, yes, I would say that was my only complaint. I did go back and, as I said earlier, and brought it up to the manager, and he showed me uh, another um, container, which was I was very hundred percent satisfied. I and, think it's great. And it's how like has that. how has legalized cannabis changed your life for the for the better? It sounds like. Yeah, I think it is uh, you know that it's properly cared for, I would say. You're not going to um, be sick from it is what I would think. Okay, Sue, thank you very much for calling in. Thank you. Let's go to Douglas in Lake Scugog. Douglas, go ahead. Yes, Douglas Hollingsworth. Uh, I've been, uh, I got introduced to marijuana in 1967, and uh, that's a long time ago. It is. And uh, <laughs> I've been smoking it all my life. Um, I'm asthmatic. I use medical marijuana for a reason. And uh, um, I've been to a few of these shops before it became legal. I don't trust it. I'm not paying Dougie Ford's uh, taxes. And I have a friend of mine who's got legally entitled to purchase marijuana. I, in fact, don't even have to, uh, have to pay for it. So you I can deal so- with, I can get, I can get other people and the, my costs ends up to be zero. So, uh, Douglas, in terms of your consumption of marijuana, it sounds like you haven't changed uh, the way you were doing things prior to legalization. No. It's exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, now, do you do you get a script so you have medical marijuana or you, well, you're just... No, a friend of mine, yeah. he, he, he does this for me. Okay. And he, gets it, he gets this medical marijuana delivered to his door. Yes. And it, it's the most exceptional uh, pot that you can imagine. I mean, okay. the THC level is like over the top, like so twenty-five you, to twenty-eight percent. So you piggyback on on his prescription. That's right. Okay, Douglas. Well, it's good. Thank you for telling us and the I, truth. I'm telling you, uh, Dougie Ford should uh, uh, stop the taxes. 
Well, it's, it's a- way too expensive to walk into one of these new uh, brick and mortar places. Okay, well, Douglas, I'm going to let you go and uh, turn over now the conversation. Uh, Michael Armstrong, our, our business professor, if you could just stay on the line. We sure. are going to get the opinion now, perspective of the official opposition at Queen's Park uh, from the New Democrats. Uh, MPP Sarah Singh is on the line with us. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. No, thank you so much for having me online. So I don't know if you caught there when you were talking to our producer, Zeev, but uh, the last caller was saying, I don't want to give Premier Dougie Ford, his words, uh, any taxes. Uh, Your response to that? I mean, we are living now in this world where we are selling legalized cannabis. Um, Do you have more of an issue with that or with the way it's being sold and offered? I think, uh, you know, uh, our bigger issue is the way that it's being sold and offered. Uh, you know, the, the, the entire rollout uh, here in the province has, has pretty much been botched from the beginning. Uh, you know, we saw many of the, the bricks and mortar stores, uh, you know, delayed in opening. Uh, you know, the process was really difficult for people to engage with. Um, and, and, you know, many of those shops still haven't even opened. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, irrespective of the tax conversation, I think uh, the, the rollout of, of uh, uh, the legalization here in the province of Ontario has been a, a complete disaster. Sarah, what if, uh, how would things have gone differently, do you think, uh, if we could reverse engineer this? Because there was a plan in place by the former Win Liberal government, which was torn up and then redrawn uh, once the PCs won the election. Had they gone with the original uh, plan, do you think the rollout would have been more smooth? I think I think we would have seen uh, it be done in a more responsible manner. I think you know there were a lot of concerns for people uh, in terms of how they would access uh, legal cannabis after the October seventeenth uh, deadline because stores weren't operational. Um, you know, so I think had we gone with a more responsible plan that would have saw this, you know, perhaps uh, administered through the LCDO, um, we would have seen, uh, I think, a smoother rollout and, and, and more equitable access across the province as well. I think the, the current plan creates a lot of disparity in some communities uh, with respect to access of legal cannabis. Um, so I, I think a, a plan that would have, uh, you know, uh, allowed a more socially responsible uh, program to be put in place would have been more effective. I want to get to another one of our listeners on the line here, Martin in Brampton. What would you like to add to our conversation here? Oh, was that me? Yes. Oh, Libby, I would like to say. It's Jane, but that's okay. Go ahead. Oh, Jane, I apologize. No worries. No worries. Oh, I would just like to say that I was born in 1960. And when I went to high school, everybody smoked pot. Or, you know, most of the school people smoke. That's only 10% of it. And we had to get marijuana from uh, our black market. And the black market right now. You know what? Your phone line's not that good, Martin. I'm having a really tough time hearing you. And if I'm having a tough time hearing you, then those who are listening in the car or at home are having are challenged as well. Is there any way you can turn your phone or your head to fix Uh, the line? Yes, yes. Can you hear me now? Uh, It's a little bit better. The point you want to make is what? Well, the black market has been around for 50, 60 years. Uh-huh. You know, they've legalized it and they've saving a ton of money on legal fees and all that. But I don't, I think that they should like, do it like alcohol or tobacco. 
Okay, I, I we got the gist of it. I'm going to let you go just because of the line. Please call back anytime. Um, Sarah Singh with the New Democrats. Uh, that's more or less this, the tune that you're singing as well, right? That it all should have been combined with the LCBO. Yeah, I think, you know, we could have explored models that would have made, uh, you know, access, uh, again, more responsible. I think right now the model is really forcing people to uh, the black market and it's really promoting the criminal activity here in, in our communities um, because those, those stores are just not open. Uh, there's no reliable, reliable supply for some people. Um, and so as a result of this completely botched rollout, I think, uh, you know, people, people are uh, struggling to, to access cannabis legally uh, and, and again pushed towards the black market. Uh, but Sarah, we had the attorney general on Doug Downey at the top of the, uh, the show. He says that nine in 10 of the illegal black market storefronts have been shut down or have voluntarily shut down since uh, since cannabis became legal last October. What do you say to that? Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we can shut down the storefronts, but I think the illegal market is more than just storefronts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not the only space and place that people access cannabis. So uh, while uh, we're moving to, to shut down those shops, uh, you know, I would say that we need to be moving towards providing a plan for those shops to, uh, you know, uh, become legal brick and mortar um, shops as well, uh, not just penalizing them and criminalizing them. Um, so I, I think, again, they're, they're not looking at this in a holistic uh, way. And it really it really is a, a botched rollout uh, with a lottery that many people can't even access and uh, apply for. So uh, I appreciate what, what the attorney general is, is saying, but I think ultimately we need to understand that it's not just illegal storefronts that are a problem here. Uh, there is a, a very illicit black market that operates uh, for cannabis, and their current plan does nothing to uh, quell that, that demand in, in the illicit market. Okay. And in terms of moving forward, if you could fix or adjust the system to be improved, uh, clearly the New Democrats are not in a position, at least for another three years, to be the head of government. But, but what, what would uh, Andrew Horvath and the NDP say about that moving forward? Well, I think that we, we need to look at a, a, a program that is more socially responsible, that is going to give, you know, entrepreneurs the ability to thrive, but also ensure that, uh, you know, uh, users and people that would like to, uh, you know, consume recreational cannabis have access to that uh, so that they aren't forced to, uh, you know, access the illegal market in order to get recreational cannabis. Okay. And I'll give the final word to Michael Armstrong, our business professor at Brock University. The fact that you are shutting down the uh, illegal storefronts that are operating overtly uh, doesn't do anything about uh, demand, which means you're just driving it to black market uh, suppliers who are operating covertly. The guy in the back of the car, the person with the website, or the back alley. So the storefront shutting down is really premature uh, until there's enough legal stores and that's the experience we're seeing in other provinces that are ahead of us in competing with the black market. It's a question of having enough stores, whether they're public sector or private sector, uh, is more of a secondary issue. All right. I thank you both for your time. Oh, My pleasure. Thank you, Jane. Michael Armstrong at Brock University and NDP MPP Sarah Singh. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.